What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode 100. What the heck? My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts, and joining me as per usual is Ben Fisher. Dude, we are we are doing episode 100 right now. 100 episodes of a podcast, man. You could have told me 99 episodes ago that we would be here, and I'd be I wouldn't believe it. Not not like a hundred of something. That's a lot of something. You know, honestly, about a hundred. That's where human order of magnitude starts to break down. Past this, I'm not really sure we're going to be able to keep track anymore. I think we should just start jumping by hundreds. Call the next one episode 200, next one 300. It could be fun. <laughs> or just start using like randomly generated episode numbers. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be good, yeah. Well, this week we're going to do something a little bit different. Because it's episode 100, we want to celebrate. We're going to break down 100 cards in hopefully about 100 minutes. And... These are cards that are special to either Ben or myself or both of us for various reasons, whether we hate them, we love them, there's a story behind them. So we're going to jump through all of these. Before we get into all of this, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not already in the Discord, check it out. We've got channels open for just about everything, and we have four episodes until our second anniversary, and we have a channel open in the Discord where you can dump questions for our mailbag for that episode. We've got some really awesome questions in there already. And you've got about a month to get yours in there. So definitely get into the Discord and check out that channel in particular if you haven't already. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us and keep us doing this each and every week. You're the reason we made it to 100 episodes if we're honest with ourselves. So thank you so much for your support. This episode is just as much for you as it is for us. So... Thank you again. If you're interested in supporting the show on the Patreon, perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show, and our Draft Chaff Hero cards sent right to you with our signature and usually some kind of wacky edit to it that Ben likes to add. And again, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. All right, we're going to skip our crack and draft type thing to make sure we get to all these cards. We've got so many cards to talk about. But we will continue with our Teferi Tibble. So, Ben, why don't you just run through your Teferi Tibble real quick, and then we'll get into our 100 cards. Oh, man. I'm excited. 100 whole cards. Uh, for anyone curious, that's 28 pages of Google Doc <laughs> worth of cards. Yeah, so my Teferi this week. I've been having some fun playing Magic at school with, with some students. I was telling you before the show that I've really just been crushing students in, in Commander. Not actually. I've been I've been dialing back a little bit. I've been trying to play some less powerful decks, keeping the hands that don't have any ramp, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, you, you got to give them some wins. And uh, students have been having a lot of fun doing that. I made a few 60-card decks recently just out of some of the chaff uh, that, that I have uh, in, in donations for the school. Made one pretty cool blue-red artifacts deck, uh, an improvised deck, for those that remember that, from Kaladesh and Aether Revolt. It's pretty good. It's got a bunch of Thopters, a bunch of uh, Chief of the Foundry, uh, some some Quicksmith Rebels. Uh, really, really fun deck. And then to go against it, I made a black-green reanimator deck with a bunch of self-mill and then like five or six uh, big reanimation spells and like seven or eight big uh, top-end bombs. Uh, just real fun kitchen table stuff for, for students and, and others to enjoy. Uh, others meeting myself uh, against the students. My Tibble, I've been punting a bunch. I'm not going to say exactly why, because I'll leave that for later in the episode. But uh, a big one that I did, I mentioned it in Discord this week, 
I was in game three of, of, uh, of a match against a very strong Bant opponent. I was playing a Jund deck. It was my favorite deck of the format by far. I had a Zia Torah and I had everything you could possibly want. I had three copies of Stimulus Package and I had everything you could ever want to go along with it. Three body droppers, a Forge boss. Uh, I had the black and red three drop rares, the face breaker and uh, whatever the, the black two, three menace life linker is. You remember it? I don't remember what it's called, but holy crap, that deck sounds amazing. Oh, dude, that wasn't even all of it. I had the dinosaur, the the, the three mana four, four I had the mono black uh, three, two that you can bring back. You can keep bringing back with uh, uh, Blitz. I had so much hotness in this deck. Good fixing too. a bunch of treasure stuff. I think I had two copies of the briefcase which made tokens for the body droppers. This deck was nuts. Uh, if you had to tell me to pick out my, my deck, that if I was going to take like a limited deck from this set to, to like a real tournament, I would take this one in a heartbeat. This deck was awesome. I lost in a very close game against a very strong Bant deck. One thing this deck didn't have was a ton of card advantage. Uh, it, it had really, really strong stuff, but it couldn't really pull ahead card-wise. My opponents on Bant, of course, could. And one particular opponent, we had a really, really great match. Uh, it ended in a stupid way where I had seen in a previous game that they had a copy of Revelation of Power. And I, I was so far ahead on board, just being silly. I, I allowed them to like get back uh, a creature. I think I killed their uh, Lagrella to get them get back. I don't know, some 4-4 some some four, four with, with counter. And it put counters on it, of course, leaving Lagrella. To which they, they untapped, said good game, cast Revelation of Power, jumped their thing above all my board, and swung for, for lethal. And that just hurt so much. I don't know. I, I knew about the revelation from a previous game, too. And I, I should have seen that coming. I even had the broken wings in hand <laughs> that I had oh. sided in against them. It was it, and I tapped out. It was it was really, really painful. Um, anyway, uh, my, my other uh, tibble this week is that it's too hot out here. <laughs> <laughs> it has gotten really hot really quickly, kind of out of nowhere. And in the northeast U.S., when it gets really hot, it gets really muggy and like you feel like you're swimming when you walk outside. So it's kind of disgusting. So yeah, mm -hmm. I feel that we can't overstate this 90 degrees here and 90 degrees in like the, the Midwest are so different. 90 degrees in the Midwest is downright comfortable <laughs> compared yeah, to what, what we're doing now. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what's up? Uh, yeah. So for my Teferi, of course, a hundred episodes, I can't not put that in my Teferi. Like that is just absurd. And I, I can't believe we're still doing this to be honest. But my other, like, I guess more personal Teferi is that I'm visiting family this weekend for my grandfather's 88th birthday. Uh, nice. he lives in Tennessee and he's road tripping out here to, to Jersey to kind of just see my mom and the rest of the family. And, and I'm going to go down there for a few days and, and get to hang with him. So that's going to be awesome. You should, uh, tell him to catch up to our 100. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My uh, my tibble is that despite yet another relatively busted sealed pool, I did not make it to day two for the arena open, which is a big disappointment. I think that deck was much better than I piloted it to be, and that's a little bit disappointing. But hey, we all we all have our beats. Yeah, it is what it is. This has been a rough one. Um, this format, I I just felt so outclassed by the the good flyers decks or the good evasion decks. To the point where some of my pools, I was wondering what to even do with them because I was just like, well, this is going to match up really poorly against blue white. And of course, you know, going to the first match, boom, there it is. They go Giada into Aspiring Overseer. I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> there goes that. Yeah, I guess I lose. 
All right. We're going to skip our listener question of the week as well because we have so many cards to get through. So let's just jump into it, Ben. We've got 100 cards here. We're going to go through. It's 50 of each and 50 for Ben, 50 for myself. And we're going to go back and forth and just talk about these. So why don't you kick us off with your first card and we'll get through it. Right. Now, I should mention to the listener that we picked 50 cards each, not because they're our favorites uh, or even because least favorites. These are 50 cards that we just wanted to talk about. 50 cards that had stories or things associated with them. A lot of these are, are uh, commanders from our decks, things that we're, we care about personally. These, I would say, are 100 cards that are important to us in some way, shape, or form. That's probably the best way to say it. So I have to kick things off with my favorite magic card of all time. It's Tireless Tracker. Oh, man, I love this card. Right above my desk, I have a giant print of the art of Tireless Tracker by Eric the Champs. Fantastic art, fantastic card. Love everything about it. Whoever she is, she's on the hunt, and she's got some huge swords, and you don't want to be who the, she's following. Uh, she's going to find you. Clues, I have just a soft spot for clues. They're, they're, they're bad. Like, <laughs> we, we, I, I know that. They're, they're, they're not exactly white card advantage. They can be, but... Everything about Tireless Tracker, it's just a perfect package. It's its a mono green card. It's a low drop. You get down. It has landfall. It draws you cards. It gets bigger. That's it. I, this is my favorite card. Yeah, it's a pretty awesome one. My first one here is my favorite card as well, and it is Sphinx's Revelation. This is X white, blue, blue for an instant at Mythic, originally printed in uh, Return to Ravnica, and it just says you gain X life and draw X cards. So if you can pump mana into this, you just gain some life, draw some cards. This is exactly what I want to be doing in Magic. I don't even care if I'm winning. I'm just like sitting around spinning my wheels. But another reason that I love this card is I've pretty much always been a control mage at heart. And in, I think it was Pro Tour 2015, even Flock piloted a blue-white control deck to win that Pro Tour, and it didn't have a win condition. And I was watching every game that he was playing and I was thinking to myself, that is the deck that I want to have. That is the deck I want to play in every format ever. And so uh, I like took it apart and kind of learned what it was doing and how. And it's not entirely accurate to say that it had no win condition. It did run Elspeth, Sun's Champion in the sideboard. (laughs) So it could have a win condition. But essentially, the whole point of the deck was just to lock your opponent out, and then they just had to give up because they didn't get to play the game, <laughs> which is exactly how I enjoy Magic. Uh, it's, it's the worst. As someone who frequently is on the other side of the blue-white control equation, it is so disheartening to be at the point where it, it's that turning point. And I think the better you get at Magic, the easier that turning point becomes to recognize so i haven't had to suffer as much as i have in my early years of playing where uh you think you might have a chance against a a sphinx's rev deck or or type of deck like that but there comes a point where you realize even if you have three cards in hand they have five and those five are better than yours and one of them is a board wipe well the best part too about this deck in particular was most of the scoops happened when you would like sphinx's rev for like 10 and then discard a bunch of cards and your opponent's like, wait, they're discarding those. If they're discarding those, what is in their hand? And yeah. it's just you see the demoralization on their face, and it's just great. Yeah, what, what a honestly, our first two cards are pretty emblematic of us as, as far as players go. We both value card advantage. Uh, you know, we're not trash players. I think I think we both have some skill, so we both recognize that card advantage is important. We have picked two vastly different ways to go about acquiring it. <laughs> Indeed. My second card out is maybe my second favorite. I don't know. My third card is actually edging up and getting closer to it. But a card that I have loved for a very long time, Siege Rhino. 
This thing is just stupid. Uh, often called lightning helix on an oversized stick. The, the rhino just comes barreling through. This thing has trampled too. Why? I may never know. But for a very long time, I played a modern Siege Rhino deck with Grim Flares and even a tireless tracker in there. Lilies, uh, that, that type of thing. It was kind of an Obzon reanimator style deck where I, I had Seder Wayfinders and Unburial Rites too. Uh, and just some big top end things to, to go and get. And even Flicker with Restoration Angels. But I did slam several Siege Rhinos into that deck. And probably my, my, my best thing with this was making top four at a Star City Games uh, qualifier with a Siege Rhino deck. And I remember the, the, the day of people were coming up to me and being like, are you the guy that's X and O with a Siege Rhino deck? Like, what's going on here, dude? What? Let me see your list. And that honestly was one of my favorite memories in, in Magic. I also distinctly remember going, cashing in my winnings and buying a concert festival ticket with it the next day. <laughs> nice. So... So my second card here is Sphinx's Tutelage, and this is two and a blue for an enchantment at Uncommon. Whenever you draw a card, target opponent puts top two cards of his or her library in his or her graveyard, and if they're both non-lands that share a color, repeat the process. And so you would basically just like mill your opponent out by drawing cards, paired very nicely with Sphinx's Rev, and then your opponent would just mill out, and you'd hope, like, if they're playing a monocolored deck, they basically just need to hit lands, or they just mill their whole deck. It's, like, ridiculous. So this was what I did with even flocks deck. I converted it into what I called Sphinx's mill. And uh, it was built on the back of Sphinx's revelation and Sphinx's tutelage at the time Teferi's tutelage didn't exist, but that probably also would have made the cut in the deck if it did. Yeah, honestly, I've gotten killed by this card by you many a time. Uh, very disgusting. I guess it's, is it strict? It's not strictly better than Teferi's tutelage. Teferi's tutelage is the one that ETBs and draws a card, right? Yeah, yeah, and Sphinx's Tutelage has an activated ability of five and a blue f to draw a card, discard a card, so it does enable you to repeatedly, like, it, it enables itself, but six mana draw a card, discard a card is extremely expensive for that effect, and typically you wouldn't do it. The, the beneficial part of this is just that, like, it does the repeating thing, which I don't believe Teferi's Tutelage does, so. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Uh, clearly also a combo with uh, Sphinx's Revelation. Number three for me, I've got Halana and Elena Partners. I adore this card. Everything about it. This is my favorite card in recent memory. And like I said, it's 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 top five for sure. I, it's definitely cracked the top three as well. The top three order, it, it might be time for a shakeup. I don't know if this is going to slide into my, my number two spot above Siege Rhino, but having to admit that I'm no longer an Obzon mage and I'm more of like a like a Jund mage or a Gruul mage, that I, I'm not quite ready to admit that yet, but... Uh, I've definitely become more of a red player as I've as I've gotten older into Magic. Halana uh, and Elena, I just love everything this card does. I tend to value things that have good ETB effects, which this does not. But this is really really synergistic with counters, and it's currently my my favorite new commander deck that I made. I, I I really enjoy playing this deck. The fact that it gives haste as well can really lead to some cool blowouts, and anything that enters the battlefield to give her counters, uh, I guess them, both of them counters. Uh, is is just a lot of fun to play with. Um, big fan of this one. It, was it too good for limited? Maybe, but uh, <laughs> still fun to play. Yeah. When was the last time we said a card that like wasn't blue in some way, shape, or form was too good for limited? Like it's been a while. So I think it's I think they deserved it. Yeah. It's finally time they pushed a Gruul Legend. It's seeing standard play in this Naya Humans deck too, which I, I have yet to give a spin. Although it seems up my alley, I probably should. So my next card here, this is number three for me, is Guillaume Master Chef, and I just love everything about this card. Like the effect that it has, 
the art is like absolutely fantastic. And I'm a big per like cook person. Like I love to cook. Food is very important to me. I'm, I'm a big foodie. And this kind of sparked this card in particular sparked, um, a really, what I think is a really awesome, just very fun shenanigans. commander deck build that I call good eats. And it's, yeah, it's just great. I mean, the, the art and everything is phenomenal. I love the interaction with all the food stuff. My next card up, Stoneforge Mystic, the kind of old staple of modern. I, back when I first started playing Magic in high school, I never thought I would be good enough to play a Stoneforge Mystic deck. That that, that I always thought kind of like if I ever had a, because I remember looking at the prices back then and thinking, wow, $50 a card? I'm in high school. I don't have money for this. <laughs> like if I ever have a deck with four Stoneforge Mystics, that means I've made it. I'm a good Magic player. I must have turned a profit at some point. Uh, and I'm I'm like playing a real format, like a scary format, like modern or vintage or legacy where Stoneforge is playable. Uh, and just the, the level of detail in this card itself. Sure, it's a tutor and it goes against an equipment, but there's a lot of things you can do with the activated ability uh, combinations with uh, equipments themselves like batter skull. Uh, the synergy there is, is infamous. Uh, but other things you can do, like flickering it or knowing when to trade it off or even to equip it. Just a, a lot of play depth to this card that kind of goes back. And I can probably say I own four of the uh, borderless alt arts now uh, in my in my pretty blinged out black, white stone blade deck. Yeah, I think uh, high school, you would be very impressed to see the uh, foil borderless alt arts. I, I think so. Current me is pretty stoked about it, too. <laughs> That's fair. So my next card is Supreme Verdict. This is the one white, white, blue wrath, basically. But it has the added little fun text of Supreme Verdict can't be countered. You know, I love to have the counter spells. Nobody else is allowed to counter my stuff, though. So it's got to be a one way street in that way. And I love that this is a wrath that that is uncounterable. But also the art is phenomenal. It, it kind of harkens back to the old Wrath of God art in a way like there's like a maelstrom sort of thing going on. But I don't know. I just love the coloring and the way that this whole design uh, was done art wise. The flavor on this one always got me. Uh, so the part where it says he left Skyrim's warning about the eviction, even though it was cloudy. So I, I guess I guess all the people in that whatever apartment building or, or whatever is is getting nuked by uh, by the Azorius. I guess they didn't do their best job of, of kind, of, kind of rude landlords here. Yeah, I don't think they had any rent protection. Could use some shield counters. Uh, anyway, my next card is actually also a blue-white card. A one of the few blue-white cards I, I adore. Bruna Light of Alabaster. This was the first commander deck I ever made, the first one I ever tried to make. And I find it funny that now in the intro packs that they give out to um, just like people that are new to magic, uh, there's seeded packs. You know what's in them. It comes with like a Vraska. It comes with a, a few foil lands. It comes with that kind of thing. It comes with a Bruna. And I think that's really funny because maybe there's other people out there that have the same experience of, wow, this is an expensive, really impactful, beautiful art card. And it has a really unique vector, if you will. It, it cares about auras in your hand or the graveyard. And then the, the wheels start turning like, well, how do I get those auras into the graveyard? How do I get auras uh, into my hand? Do small auras work best with this? Big auras? How do I get big auras into my own graveyard? Do I self-mill? Do I find ways to loot or discard or tutor? Uh, and it's kind of the natural starting place for Commander. And I remember my first build was bad. Uh, I was playing way too many expensive things. I played no ramp. And I kept getting disappointed when I would tap out on turn six for a six-cost card. And then it would just die immediately. 
Uh, I have since made my Bruna deck much more powerful, and um, it's still an old favorite of mine. But this was the one that really got me thinking about Commander. Um, this is kind of my entry point, where I was like, oh, you can just build around something that you like. Yeah, that's a big realization when folks get first in first get into um, Commander, and I have a little bit of a story of my own version of that sort of later on in the episode, so I'm not going to spoil that. But yeah, I... Uh, I've been on the receiving end of Bruna's Wrath a few times. Not a fan. <laughs> oh, you don't like getting hit by like a 70-70 unblockable lifelink protection uh, with nope. phasing uh, ability? Nope. <laughs> nope, can't say that I enjoy that. Oh, man, discovering new auras for Bruna is priceless, too, because some of the old auras are really messed up. There's one, I think, Diplomatic Immunity that has Shroud and gives the creature Shroud. Just who who made that? Yeah, it's awful. Shroud, for those who haven't heard the mechanic because it hasn't been around for a long time, is essentially hexproof, but the person who cast it also can't target it. So it's, <laughs> it's just like, like nobody can touch it at all. Uh, which is funny because you can no longer target her with Aras, but you can still attach Aras to her uh, via her ability. Uh, and, and with Shroud, it's like, you know, it's out of my hands now. Yeah. She's going to do what she does and it's going to end with you dying. Yeah, that about sums it up. My next card here is Zinder Split, Eye of Wisdom, and this is just kind of the culmination. There are so many cards I could have put in this slot to kind of give the same explanation, but I have a, a Chaos deck in Commander that has Zinder Split and Okown as my partners. I call it the Ozzy deck because it's Chaos and, and it kind of reminds me of Ozzy Osbourne, and the letters of the Commanders work that out too. But at the beginning of a combat on your turn, flip a coin until you lose a flip. That's all I'm going to read on the card. That's all that really matters. <laughs> this deck is ridiculously fun for me to play. And this was the, this deck I built because going through college, I had brought a, a friend of mine into magic, not Ben, but a different friend that had kind of dabbled with magic, but really wasn't into it too much. I had brought him into the game and he quickly learned my, my ways of the control mage and loved it. But he also got into Commander and learned that he loved the political aspect of Commander. And I'm terrible at the political aspect. I don't like the, like, making deals and then, like, breaking those deals. It's just not fun for me to act on that level. And I'm starting to get better about it. But at one point, I was like, you know what? What if I just stopped caring about winning and I just wanted to make sure that nobody got to do any of the things they wanted and still got to play the game, but it's just completely random and we'll just see who wins. It doesn't matter who's, like, building packs and who's not. So that's where the the chaos deck was born, and I love it so much. It's easily my favorite commander deck right now. And the only problem is that it runs yeah. a bunch of enchantments that just have walls and walls of text and lots and lots of upkeep triggers. So it gets very out of hand very quickly for everybody at the table. I think that deck probably has the highest text density out of any of the commander decks between the two of us. Oh, almost certainly. And I, I'm very tempted. If they weren't so expensive, I would be tempted to put the all text basic lands in it. <laughs> just to add to that. Yeah, that'd be funny. That would solidify its position. Uh, a card in this deck that, that always bothered me and actually almost made my list, it's probably on yours. Did you put Perplexing Chimera on your list? I did not, but it is a phenomenal card. Oh, then let me add this on as my 51st card real quick. The, the text of it is, whenever opponent casts a spell, you may exchange control of Perplexing Chimera and that spell. If you do, you may choose new targets for the spell. And if it becomes a permanent, you control that permanent instead. So I remember the first time I played against this and it, it kind of became a back and forth of me being like, wait, so my spell goes where? And then Zach went, it's mine now. And I was like, wait, but then what do I do with this? And he's like, well, you can give it back and you get something else. And I'm like, but wait, 
I want to play my cards. And he's like, well, <laughs> too, too bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll touch on that later. I have a different card that is, that touches on, on that as well. My next up here is Marin of Clan Neltoth. One of my second commander decks. I think it might have been the second one that I made. Kind of my old standby. I, I used to think I was a very solidly black-green mage. I've since branched out a bit. But for a long time in Limited, I would kind of just force black-green. This is when I was maybe, I've been drafting for like a year. And I just felt really kind of comforted almost by the fact that you were going to get good creatures and good removal. And really in Limited, that, that's the bread and butter stuff. Uh, there's plenty of color combos. Like, look at blue-red, for example. You could just, like, pick random blue and red cards at random in a draft and wind up with something totally unplayable. If you just pick random black and green cards in a draft, you're going to wind up with a, a bunch of, like, solid game plans, probably a bunch of good creatures, maybe even a good curve. Marin relies on that, too. It's kind of an Aristocrats deck, uh, Aristocrats Reanimator. And uh, I just really enjoyed the, the experience, uh, if you will. She's an experience counters-based deck, which is... Uh, something they haven't brought back in a while but it's pretty fun and uh this one it, it, it felt like one of the first commander decks that uh i finished if that makes sense it's like it's going to be very hard for me to change it over time because it's a toolbox deck and i really have good versions of all the effects every once in a while uh, a new version we printed for example gloom shrieker uh, the the enchantment creature that brings a card back uh, I, I ended up putting that in over i think it was oh geez i, I couldn't remember what it's called it was a version from Return to Ravna, from, from the, from the Ravna cassettes, the recent ones, that cost black, black, green, green. Uh, and it was a 3-4 that returned a, a permanent to your hand. Golgari Fine Broker. That's the one, the Fine Broker. Little updates like that will happen, but this, this is one that I feel like, you know what, I'm always going to have my Golgari deck. It's always going to be there for me. Always a good, uh, solid choice to play. Yeah, so my sixth card here is Thassa's Oracle, and if you've been a long-time listener of the show, you probably expected this one to show up on one of our lists. This card is both awesome because I love Mill, and we'll get to more on that later as well, but, um, and we kind of touched on it with, with the Sphinx's Tutelage, but this card in particular, Ben and I were playing in GP New Jersey uh, just before the pandemic. It was like two months before the pandemic started, and like lockdowns in the U.S. happened and all that. And we made it to the final round. I had a ridiculous, this was uh, Theros Beyond Death sealed. I had a ridiculous blue-white control deck. Ben was playing an awesome red-green beats deck. We were playing two-headed giant sealed. We just steamrolled every opponent we got to. And I had opened um, the two best mythics and rares in the set. There was the uh, the trap, what is, I can't remember the names anymore. But the, the blue-white sphinx that like you just couldn't deal with at all. And then there was uh, the, the Green blue- color. Dream Trawler, that was it. And then there was a, yeah. a the blue uh, Cure Best the Sea God, which was a saga that made a bunch of octopi. and <laughs> Wins the game. <laughs> wins the game. Um, both and, of them are wins the game type cards. So I had both of those in my deck. I didn't care what else I was playing. I just had those and counter spells and like a few dirtily creatures. Ben was doing most of the heavy lifting on the ground. I had a, yeah, I had a Clothis and a bunch of solid ground things to back it up. Right, and so we're playing, we get to, to round three, I think it was. We were undefeated at the point. And we were playing for the championship of this event. We're playing against these two kids who were probably like 12 and like 10 or something. Like they were really young kids, but they were also undefeated. So like they knew their stuff. They definitely were, were playing well. And they start just spewing off cards. They start ripping through their libraries, like milling themselves like crazy. And I looked at Ben yeah. and I go, I'm smelling a Thassa's Oracle. And I had one counter spell in my hand left. They put something on the stack that I was pretty sure we could have beaten but like it was it was a, it was a close call i was like i kind of want to counter this thing. 
if I remember, I feel like it might've oh, been, it might an, have been Ashiok. an Ashiok. Yeah. And I was on the fence about countering it, but I looked at Ben, I was like, I'm smelling a Thassa's Oracle, but like, what are the chances they open that rare in particular? And like, maybe I'll find another counterspell. It was the only counterspell I had in my hand, but I had more in the deck. And so I countered the Ashiok and I think Ben convinced me to counter it. And, I did, yeah. <laughs> and I I countered it, and then like two turns later, they played a Thassa's Oracle and won with a Thassa's Oracle, and I was so sad. Yeah. They had the they had the blue black uncommon where you could pay four and mill a card, and I think they like they were double activating that instead of playing spells. Oh, one of them was the other one. Oh, that's right. The other the other dude was playing Naya and stopped attacking, which in that format was absurd. That was the one with um escape. It, where, where you could just like attack in, they would have to block trade off. You just bring it right back and it's stronger. They, they stopped attacking with some really strong attackers and we're, and we're trying to go on the defensive against my like red green beats plan. And I was like, this is a little weird, but uh, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe they're doing something funky. Maybe they have a plan of board wipe or something. It was the Thassa's Oracle after all. Next up is another GP story. This is another pretty infamous one that longtime listeners have definitely heard five times by now, but we love to tell it. This was prior. This was back in uh, Aether Revolt. Um, and at this one, we had also been doing pretty well in our two-headed giant. Uh, was it sealed? It was sealed, right? Two-headed yeah. giant sealed. And we, we had been doing, I think, a pretty similar game plan. I was on red-green beats. You were probably on blue X something, right? It's usually how it goes. Yeah, that, that tends to be it. And uh, it was the final round. We had been there for an awfully long time at, at this tournament at that, to the point where we just felt like going home. And this is the same day that we were in a standard event, right? Or is that yeah. So, different? so for this particular GP, we were playing in the main event standard. Yeah. It, this was like when Mardu vehicles was like at the height of its glory and everybody was playing Mardu vehicles. We built this energy incredible. Too. Yeah. And energy. We built this incredible Esper control deck that nobody else was playing. And like, we didn't so net deck sick. it or anything. We just built it ourselves. And it was based on a card that I know Ben's going to talk about later. So I'm not going to spoil it, but we both kind of scrubbed out. Neither of us played against Marty vehicles, which was what we <laughs> built the deck to beat. And yeah. we just had bad matchups. And so we, we finished that. And then we went to play this sealed event. And it, so it was like eight o'clock at night and we had been there for like 12 plus hours. Mm-hmm. And we sit down across from our, our last round of opponents and we offer the split. Because we're just thinking, let's go home. Um, it's it's late. It's time to go. They declined, which on itself is acceptable. You know, like you're allowed to decline. But they were kind of like a little rude about it. The one guy was like, like he looked us dead in the eye and he was like, no, we came here to play. And he like slammed his deck on the on the table. And we're like, uh, dude, OK, like, bro, <laughs> we just want to get some dinner. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember I was starving, and and the, that uh that that GP chicken is not exactly what you want. So we sat down and proceeded to just demolish <laughs> our opponents. And uh, Outland Boar was a big part of that. Outland Boar, for those of know, that's that's a very simple magic card. Two red green for a four four. Uh, it can't be blocked by creatures of power two or less. Just made all the little thopters and servos look embarrassing. Uh, I love me an Outland Boar. Yeah, so my seventh card here is Jeskai Ascendancy, and you know we've gotten Ascendancies back, but we didn't we didn't get a Jeskai one, and uh, so this is blue, red, white for an enchantment at rare from Cons of Tarkir. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, creatures you control get plus one plus one until end of turn. Untap them, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you may draw a card if you do discard a card. So this was kind of Jeskai's thing. It was like non-creature spells and and some like prowess stuff. So like whenever you cast non-creature spells, your creatures would get buffed. This card was one of my favorite cards for a long time still really is the art is really cool and the effect is incredible and there was a jeskai ascendancy deck in standard at the time there's also one in modern that i don't think gets too much play anymore but 
you would basically just like play a bunch of dirtily like cantrippy stuff like opt and then have this out and some creatures that can tap for mana and like sylvan karyatid was the one that everybody was using when this deck was really popular and so you just like untap the creature generate mana cantrip infinitely and then you have like some random other dirtily like card like altar of the brood that would mill your opponent out or like you'd buff your whole team and then you'd swing when you were finally ready to do that and just kill your opponent it was a really fun just little like two or three card combo that would let you kind of destroy your opponents very easily my next card here is grim strider I love this one for the flavor text. This is one that I picked out as my favorite flavor text out of any magic card. Uh, it's back from Amonkhet. And it says, as a child, I saw something walking in the distance far beyond the Hekma, shadow dark and taller than the gods. Even now, it passes through my dreams. Just awesome. O- almost Twin Peaks-esque level writing we got here. And and the art on this card is fantastic, too. It's it's this massive horror obscured by shadow. But this card is the complete package. Not too bad and limited, either. My next card here is Assault Formation. Again, longtime listeners will definitely know about this one, but it's it essentially lets your creatures um, assign combat damage equal to their toughness instead of their power. And this sparked my love for the Big Butts deck, and I built a really awesome standard deck when this was legal in standard, and I think that was also Konzotarki or Fate Reforged or something around there. And it was actually an incredible deck. You could push like 25, 30 power worth of damage, in or toughness worth of damage as it were by turn like three or four it was absurdly fast and Mm. nobody was playing it like i i built it on my own like randomly and it actually was really really good and i don't know why more people didn't play that deck next up we got hot soup uh this is my girlfriend's favorite magic card i I will say i think i told her about it once that a card called hot soup exists and since then every time she sees me playing magic she'll just be like hey is hot soup in this deck I'm like, no, sorry, that's a that rotated out like seven years ago, <laughs> but uh, I wish I could. Maybe I should put this in my in my modern stone blade deck, you know, just just for the just for the memes. My next card here is a Johnny Goldmane. This is the OG Johnny from M11, and actually, I think it might have been printed at M10 as well. But the version of it I have in our dock is M11, and essentially, it was just a two white white for a four loyalty planeswalker. This is one of the first planeswalkers ever printed. Oh yeah, that's right. And it has a plus one that just says you gain two life. A minus one that says put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. Those creatures gain vigilance until end of turn. And a minus six, which says put a white avatar creature token onto the battlefield. It has this creature's power and toughness are each equal to your life total. So the plus is like really, really absurdly bad by today's standards. So bad. (laughs) The minus one is really good. And the minus six is probably really incredible in a deck that's supporting this, like with a Johnny pride mates and things. But this was the Mm. first planes but one of the first planeswalkers ever printed it was also the first planeswalker i ever opened in a pack Mm. and it was one of my first like half a dozen packs or so that i opened it so i was like all right i guess i'm a johnny goldman fan yeah no this is a good one Uh, it doesn't hold up super well by modern standards but it is pretty cool to think that they had the balance just about down properly even back then (laughs) next up it it looks like uh we've both picked a similar card here seasons past is up i think we both love this card for for different reasons uh me in particular i had this fantastic homebrew green white deck that i played in standard for a long time it was like a humans deck but it also had a seasons past loop i was inspired by the uh it was a john finkel's black green seasons past deck that uh he had played in standard and i was like all right black green's cool it's a little too control heavy what if i turn this into a green white humans deck that actually has a seasons past as like a late game grindy engine and I actually, uh, I did get him uh, to sign a copy for me. 
Yeah, Ben has that. You're just gonna like casually pass over the fact that you drafted with John Finkel and not actually yeah, saying yeah, yeah. that. I did draft with John Finkel back at the uh, Rutgers University Magic the Gathering Club. I don't know how that got him to come, but uh, it was an awesome time, and uh, everyone got to talk to him about their picks and and uh, have him sign some cards. It, it was a pretty good time. Didn't get to play against them, sadly. I don't think I did that well in that draft. Yeah, so I also had seasons passed at this this card slot, and. I liked it mainly because of John Finkel's standard deck. Um, I saw it in a pro tour and I was like, wait a second, you can have like legitimate control decks that don't involve blue cards. I need this. Like I need it in my life. And also the effect of seasons past was super unique at the time. I think this was the first card printed that did this sort of thing where it cared about having different mana values in your graveyard. And then you'd get them all back. And like this one also gets shuffled back into your deck. So it's like impossible to deck out with it. I, it, it was just an awesome card and I really love the art on it as well. My next card is actually a card that you inspired me because you just mentioned how it was one of the first things that you'd open first Planeswalkers. Uh, it reminded me of the first Mythic that I ever opened back at the, I want to say the Hamilton Mall in in, uh, in South Jersey. I think I was there when you opened this, actually. Yeah, I think you were. This was Shore Crasher Elemental. Uh, it's blue, blue, blue for a 3-3, and it has a bunch of random text. It has Megamorph, which is a nonsense mechanic. But uh, I just remember thinking, wow, this thing is, has an orange symbol. Is this worth money? What's going on here? And that inspired me to try to acquire more cards with little orange symbols because that feels better than acquiring cards with black symbols. And uh, I guess that's when they got me, right? That is when they got you, yeah. Their claws were effectively hooked in. So my next card here is Core Celebrant. Many of you will remember this card from uh, the recent Zendikar set that we had. And this was just like everything I wanted to be doing in Limited in that format was just Core Celebrant, play as many clerics as I can get my hands on and and just watch my opponent cry. I don't know. I mean, like that deck was just so good. Uh, I want to shout out a few commanders for my next several here. First up, Gigantha the Wellspring. Now, you might be thinking, oh, yeah, you're companioning Gigantha onto some other deck. Uh, no, actually, I just play Gigantha as an Elk Commander in what I think might actually be my best Commander deck. It's Elk Tribal, and for those that don't know, the joke is that uh, it has all the EDH staples, Teferi's Protection, Demonic Tutor, all this, the shocks, um, uh, some fetches, uh, all, all that type of stuff, all the good ramp. Uh, but then in conjunction with all that stuff, you have <laughs> just nonsensical Elk cards. And for those that don't know... Elk aren't very good tribe-wise, but all the tribal supports make them good. All the stuff like Vanquisher's Banner and Adaptive Automaton, all the stuff that you put in any good tribal deck, uh, I have in here. I don't know. It's it's a bit of a, a testing experiment. Or my hypothesis is that these tribal cards are good, and you don't necessarily need the creature cards of the tribe to be good. And uh, let me say, I, I love slamming vanilla two fours. Uh, or, or my favorite, Wetland Sambar, a 2-mana two 2-1 two <laughs> with no other text, uh, and then attacking my opponent with it once it's been buffed up to like a 5-10 with a million abilities. That That's just chef's kiss. Yeah, but you're also running a card that I'm going to talk about in a little bit, and you deserve to not ever play this game ever again for doing that, but we'll get to that. My next card here is Clarion Spirit. This was the one in a white spirit creature at uncommon that makes more spirits when you cast your second spell each turn and the reason i put this on the list is because it's pretty indicative of the best card in caldheim or the best deck in caldheim limited which was black white uh second spell and i remember distinctly having an awesome interaction with ben because i continuously told him that it was the best deck in the format 
half jokingly, but also kind of seriously. He never believed it. And then he opened a sealed pool for like an arena open or something that had like this bonkers black white. Actually, it was like a mediocre black white deck and it had like one or two really good cards. Yeah, it had it had Kaya. And he was like, this is going to go like three, whatever. Like he didn't think it was going to do well. And then he ended up day twoing with it. <laughs> I, was oh, just, man. I was like, see, it's the best deck in the format. So not only is it not the best deck, I don't even think it's in the top 50%. <laughs> I did also, really well with that deck in that format. That's all I'm saying. All right. It might be in the top 50% and that there were really only like six decks in the format. There was like snow pile, white aggro. And then I guess you could slot white black in there somewhere, maybe above I don't even, it does. I mean, most of the time, the white black deck ended up just being a relatively worse version of white aggro. Really, <laughs> yeah, like green, white. Speaking of making tokens, I've got Eddie Markov up next. This is a, uh, a kind of the ultimate vampire commander. Uh, it has eminence, which is just stupid, which means whenever you cast a vampire, even if Eddie is in your command zone, you get a vampire token. And there's some really silly things you can do with free tokens. Big fan of, of vampires as a tribe. I like having these tribes because uh, when we come back to sets, they're usually pretty happy to, to power up vampires as a tribe. Whenever we go to Innistrad, you know you're getting some good vampires, right? And, and that means that these decks will continue to stay fresh. Elk doesn't really have that. So it's it's nice to have a cool deck like Edgar where I can take the, the, the stuff that I, I you know pull in a draft, um, like a welcoming vampire, just straight into Edgar Markov. My next card here is one of my first commanders and one of the first loves I would say I had with magic and that is Zedru the great hearted. This is one red, white, blue for a minotaur monk. And it's a two, four at the beginning of your upkeep, you gain X life, draw X cards. We've heard that before where X is the number of permanents you own that your opponents control. And then you can pay Jeskai red, white, blue target opponent gains control of target permanent you control. And this is, erupted a love for group hugs in me. Um, and so I've been a group hugs up. Uh, I've been partially a group hugs player at least, uh, ever since I no longer have my Zedru deck. I, I now I converted my group hugs deck into a Kenrith deck just to get access to more colors. But this also has a special place in my heart cause it does the, it does the Sphinx's ref thing. And I love giving away cards that I, that I should want or should not want to my opponents. And they're like, Hey, you're stuck with this. I think it's funny. That it's a Minotaur. It almost looks like a, like an Ibex something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, right? it's, it's like an antelope person and they just yeah. counted it as a minotaur, I guess. Speaking of group hugs, commanders, oh God. I have my, <laughs> I have my group hugs deck here. Uh, Selvala Explorer returned. This is one of my other favorite commanders. Uh, it did start out as a group hugs deck. Believe I don't it believe not. you. It, it did start out as a group hugs deck. Selvala is a group hugs commander. You tap her for mana, but then it draws everyone cards. You, you float some mana and gain some life too. It did start off as a group hugs deck. Uh, I have since cut every card you could consider to be group hugs. And all that seems left is uh, giant angels. So this is actually slowly developed into a, I guess, a bear hugs deck where, where I aggressively uh, make sure that everyone's having fun with my giant army of angels. And I make sure things stay regulated. I have some of the, the arbiters, uh, the, the angels that kind of uh, make sure like everything, like there's one angelic arbiter, make sure that opponents can only either cast spells or attack. Uh, it's to slow the game down and make sure that I'm having, you know, just a little more fun than everybody else is. And yeah, it's it's a group hugs deck. Ben's definition of group hugs is my opponents get to draw cards. That's that's all he that's all he checks off, and he's like, cool, group hugs. Now I can do everything for myself. Yeah, my my, my group hugs idea is horizontal equity, where, where I uh, <laughs> zero sum, zero sum fun. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, well I, I just make sure that everyone's life total stays the same. Yeah, <laughs> sure. sure. It's just it, zero. It, it, they eventually go to zero. <laughs> oh, my next card here is Rattle Chains. This is just the all-inclusive kind of quintessential spirit, which is my favorite tribe in Magic. And Rattle Chains does everything I want spirits to do. And I don't think the modern spirits deck would really be a deck without it. It gives all your other spirits flash. It also protects a spirit when it ETBs. So it, it kind of just is quintessential for what I want spirits to be doing as a deck. Never play on my turn, get in with a bunch of aggressive flyers and keep myself alive. That's that's like what the whole deck wants to do. And yeah, I love Rattle Chains. Next up, I've got Avacyn, Angel of Hope. A little story that goes back with this one. Back when I was young and stupid, I thought that I could just eventually open an Avacyn, Angel of Hope if I just bought packs of Innistrad. I thought, oh, I'll just keep buying packs of Innistrad or whatever set it was. It might have been the, the Innistrad, Dark Ascension, Avacyn, Restored. I just kept buying packs of Avacyn, Restored, thinking, oh yeah, I'll eventually open an Avacyn to the point where I eventually spent more money opening packs of Avacyn Restored than I did had I just chose to buy an Avacyn. Uh, and what was funny was that I kept... I did open all the mythics in that box. It was the same box at that boardwalk store. Uh, and I, I got all the mythics. I got a Tybalt from that box. I got a Descent into Madness from that box. And uh, I, I have a funny feeling that I got all the good stuff. Yeah. It, the interesting part, too, was that like Ben was doing this when the set was no longer in print. So we were going to this like store on the, the boardwalk in our hometown and like buying he was buying them at like well over MSRP as well. So it's not even like yeah. he was buying like four dollar packs. They were like six or seven bucks a pack. Uh, there were eight. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My next card here is Teferi's Puzzle Box. This was a four mana artifact. It's a really old card. Um, I think this one that I'm looking at here was from ninth edition. At the beginning of each player's draw step, that player puts the cards in his or her hand on the bottom of his or her library in any order, then draws that many cards. So everybody basically wheels every turn. And the reason I love this going back to my chaos deck is that like most people who play strategy games, you know, you think about a chess player like they're thinking turns in, in advance. You're thinking like three, four turns in advance and magic players love to do that too. It's a strategy game. Like that's part of the game. Well, with a puzzle box out, nobody gets to do that. You're just starting over every turn and I love it. No strategies at all. My next up card, I actually wanted to shout out another Avacyn, Archangel Avacyn. This is the world's best Sarah Angel. They're not going to make a better one. And I love Sarah Angel. This is just the best Sarah Angel there is. You can flash it in. If anything happens to die, I love the flavor of this card. It was sad seeing Avacyn descend into total madness. And it pisses me off that this isn't a mono white card. I can't put this into my white green commander decks because the backside is red because she got so angry about, you know, Eldrazi madness, I guess. But I do love the flavor that when someone dies, she kind of grows into a into a brutal rage. Uh, love this card. Uh, just a good time. My next one is Filigree Familiar. This is three mana for a 2-2 two, two artifact creature fox. It enters the battlefield, gains you life, and then when it dies, it draws you a card. It's kind of the theme for me. I love those two things and it's a little pupper. Like, look at it. The art's fantastic. I'm going to go with another thing with the exact same casting cost as, uh, as Archangel Avacyn, Archangel of Thune. This is a card that I kind of similar to Stoneforge Mystic. I always told myself that one day when I'm an accomplished magic player, I'll get myself a bunch of copies of Archangel of Thune because I, it actually has some, some things that I like on it too. Uh, it's a three, four flying lifelink, but whenever you gain life, you put a one, one counter on each creature you control. Very strong effect, especially in a life gain deck. I just don't really have a life gain deck. I don't really have anything to put it in. Even my Angels deck with Selvala. I mean, I guess you gain life off of Selvala, but Archangel doesn't... I mean, you, you want a thing where you're triggering like tons of life gain triggers each turn with this. Maybe someday I'll make a good life gain deck and I'll, I'll buy myself a copy. My next card also has something to do with Angels. This is Rampage of the Valkyries. 
And you may or may not like remember this card because it was the reason I'm picking it is because it's one of my favorite art pieces from magic's history ever. Mm. I love the art on this card. The lighting is phenomenal. The framing is phenomenal. The colors are incredible. I love everything about it. Also the flavor text. This is a foul place. Cleanse it. It's just no remorse. No, it just, Oh, it's so good. Everything about this card. It's amazing. And yet when it was spoiled because of the way they did the weird spoiler season at that time, nobody realized, or at least it took me a long time to realize it wasn't actually in the draft format. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like a supplemental card that you could only get in like uh, the the fancier packs or whatever. They weren't in draft boosters, and I got so, so disappointed because I wanted to play this card so badly. Would you believe me if I said I've been playing standard angels and this is a a three of? I would believe you, and I would expect it to be in that deck. It's a really good card. I'll send you the list. It, it's sweet. I've been having a lot of fun. Giada really powers up the format. Next up, I've got teleportation circle. One of my favorite build arounds we've gotten in ages. I can't seem to stop myself from picking this card. I don't think I've passed this card in, in draft or whether that's actual D&D set or whether it's actual cube or anything else. I just can't pass teleportation circle. I love ETV and leave the battlefield effects. Just imagine this in a drag tusk. Just infinite profit, infinite fun. Uh, big fan of, of blinks. My next card here is kind of a nod to something that I try to do with all my commander decks. Every single one of my commander decks that I currently have has a, at least a card or a theme in it that points back to Ben in some way, shape or form. And usually they're like jabs at him in some way. Yeah, and they are. this one is very much a jab. This is a Traxa Praetor's voice. And I think we've gotten to the point by now, like Ben loves angels. That's like one of you. I mean, you say Elk is your favorite, your favorite tribe, right? But really it's angels. It's angels. Yeah. Yeah, and and well, attracts is an angel horror, and so I was like, let me take your yeah, let me take your 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 clean, pristine angels and build something disgustingly Disgusting. beautiful out of it. It also is just like keyword soup, flying vigilance, death touch, lifelink, proliferate, like love it. Uh, and then the deck is really fun. Mine isn't the crazy super friends version. I just like use a bunch of plus one plus one counters. Next up, I have Darling of the Masses, a bit of a new addition. Just a huge fan of this card. It feels like a, a little mini Grave Titan that you can just play on turn four in a green-white deck and limited. Uh, I really like that effect. And I've just found that every time my opponent plays this, I think, yeah, I can beat that. I can't beat it. <laughs> I, can, I can never seem to beat it. Uh, and and I, I wish I had seen it on more, my side of the battlefield more often. I don't know. No one passes the good stuff. No one's... I don't know how my opponents wind up with like three inspiring overseers in their deck. What do they open one in each of their packs that they, they like pack one from? Like I'm not getting past these cards. Yeah. I mean, I'm not either. I don't know what's going on. I'm certainly not passing them. My next card here is warp world. This is five red, red, red for a sorcery at rare. And this card is really old as well. I remember opening this when I was like, cause I started playing magic in M10, which is a set this, this was originally printed in. And mm. I remember opening this card looking at the, the mana value and I was like, whoa, this card must be crazy. And then I saw the text box and I was like, what the <laughs> heck is happening? For those who haven't a seen the card, it, it is a short novel. Like it is, there's so much text in this card. Yes, I play it in my chaos deck and it just like resets the game kind of, but instead of setting everybody back to zero, it's like put all your stuff back and then just reveal a bunch of stuff until you get that many things that you put back. It's, it's, it's very strange, but it like resets the game. And I think it's fun. Next up for me is Gishath Sun's avatar, big dinosaur commander. I remember this one in particular because I do have a commander deck based on it. I love dinosaurs. They don't add them very often. I guess I got one, the, the plant dinosaur from this last set. Um, I don't, I don't even know if that's, 
good enough for this deck, honestly. Because this is another one that, that probably doesn't need a lot of updating very often. I guess we'll go back to Ixalan eventually, right? But uh, Gishat, a fun story is that I actually, I remember finally winning an, an FNM at my Magic the Gathering Club at Rutgers. It took ages. Uh, I wasn't very good for a long time. And uh, from my prize pack, I opened a foil Gishath and a hostage taker, uh, which at the time was the best card in standard. So uh, in, the, in the moment, it was pretty cool, you know, like winning the thing. It was a small tournament, of course, but, you know, still fun. Winning the thing and then walking away with like a $40 prize pack of like a foil mythic dinosaur and one of the top cards in standard. Uh, that, that stuck as a moment of excitement to me. My next card here is Cleansing Wildfire and... The main reason I picked this card is because I think it's in my top three, at least top five favorite arts in Magic. Just the way that the they did the flame in the background and like everything is kind of dying. But then there's the one plant that's like surviving through and is going to grow to probably rebuild the, whatever meadow or forest or whatever was being burned down. And the flavor text in this one kind of transcends Magic for me. Every rebirth looks like a death. And I think this is a great reminder to when you're going through something awful and like when you, when you go through a crucible as it were in your life and you have time to reflect on that is to just remember that like, you know, pain is kind of something that everybody has to go through and you have a choice of whether to get anchored down by that pain or to use it to propel you forward. And this is just a great reminder that like things do grow from the ashes and when things fall apart, there is a way to get through it. And yeah, I think that's beautiful. Yeah, great stuff. It's good when when magic cards have some like higher significance or higher meaning to them. Even on what is this like a, a draft common that sometimes sees modern flagstones play. Uh, but even that, it, there's a lot of beauty to it. I also wrote a a paper or like a short story or something back in high school that if you were to like take all of the words and feed it into like an algorithm that spit out a picture, it would give you this picture. So oh, that's, that's another cool. reason why I, I was like, whoa, this like very cool summarizes you know pictures worth a thousand words or whatever mm -hmm. mine is uh much more simple uh and, and less poignant i would say lateral blade of the elves uh, an elf commander that, that i like playing um it came from a pre-con one of the first pre-cons that i got my hands on uh i had been building on my own up until then and that was the point where i realized actually these pre-cons these are pretty good uh, i can do something with this uh similar to some of the other ones that i mentioned with vampires this one i just like slotting elves into ones that i can pick up at, at draft or open and sealed. Uh, it really helps me feel as though my cards aren't going to waste. And it feels cool that I have this thing that's going to accrue little like value rares over time. Yeah, that's pretty fun. It's a relatively unique card too. I mean, like there are tons of elf legendaries, but mm -hmm. this one's kind of unique in the way that it, it kind of pairs well with the colors that are selected to it. My next card. So if you're still listening, I haven't turned you away by the fact that I'm a dirty control mage that has the most fun when my opponents can't play the game by countering yeah. their things and controlling them. Well, what you might not know about me is that not only my dirty control mage, but I'm also a massive Ponza fan. If you don't know what Ponza is, just look at Monvuli Acid Moss. Two green green for a sorcery at common. Tar destroy target land. That's where the Ponza aspect comes in. Search your library for a forest, put it into play tapped, shuffle your library. I love land destruction decks. I don't build them often because everybody hates playing against them, but Ponza was like one of my favorite decks for a long time, and I was really close to building it in modern instead of spirits. Kind of glad I didn't play build this instead, but I might still build it. <laughs> Next up for me is Najila, the Blade Blossom. I adore this card. It is so much fun design-wise. Who is she? Dude, what's happening here? I mean, 
this girl's awesome. Whatever's happening here. Got like two two cool shaped swords, like bright red hair, pink armor. Like this is this is dope. Uh, and clearly a fighter in, in the arena. Now, here's the problem. I own a copy of the Gila. I've told myself for ages I was going to make a warrior tribal deck because there's all sorts of cool warriors across the five colors. But it's five colors, and I can really only support one five-color mana base with the cards that I own now, and that's my elk deck. If I were to try to build a five-color mana base for Najila, I just wouldn't really have the stuff. Every time I get a good, like, a dual land that isn't going into modern or something, or I'm not selling off, uh, I just put it into my elk deck, you know, to make the mana that much more consistent. With Najila, though, I just, I, I would be playing a bunch of, like, tapped dual lands, and that's, you know, I want to do her justice. Uh, Najila is the one that got away. I, the commander deck that I... <laughs> May forever tell myself I'll build, but haven't built yet. My next one here is Krenko Mob Boss. I've talked about Krenko at length in various sign-offs and such, but Krenko just spits out a million goblins, and uh, it's my goblin tribal commander deck, and I love everything about it. it. There are so many good goblins that have been printed over the years, and they always print new ones, so there's always something to kind of stop and think about, like, oh, should this get an addition? And it's one of the few decks that I actually, like, really try to keep up on... on changing and making better and it's also really fun it's not a deck that gets to play very often because so many people like as soon as somebody sees Cranko on the other side of the board they just kill it and then like the deck kind of doesn't do yeah. anything but um but it's a really fun deck and one of my favorites grief is my next card i play grief blade in modern uh, it's a stone blade deck stoneforge mystic play set it's got the sword it's got the batter skull it's got um cauldron complete all that stuff but it's also playing a flicker package with ephemerates and, and griefs and for those that know, Grief is one of the evoke elementals where you can uh, evoke uh, to just put it in a play on turn one and uh, exile a black card from your hand to do so. And then before it dies, you can flicker it and then you get its ETB triggered twice, three times actually on the next turn if you use Ephemerate. And that, of course, makes your opponent reveal their hand to choose and discard. It's one of the things that actually kind of got me back into modern to the point where I saw my obs on deck my beloved Liliana's we're no longer holding up in the format and uh, this was kind of what pulled me back in this fact that I could have this stupid uh, turn one combo with kind of an aggro to mid-range finish just a, a really interesting and unique way to play yeah so my next card here is one that I just absolutely love for a lot of reasons and one of those reasons is the way they went the, the thought that went into it uh, this card is Triskaidekaphobia and it's an enchantment yeah. from originally printed in, I think it was Shadows over in Estrad. And Yeah, I think so. Um, it says at the beginning of your upkeep, choose one. Each player with exactly 13 life loses the game. Then each player gains one life. And each player with exactly 13 life loses the game. Then each player loses one life. And so the idea is like, you kind of just keep using this until you get your opponent to 13 and then they, they lose. But the coolest part about this is they put 13 sets of 13 things in the art. And that's just, come on, there, there's wild. so much thought into that. I, yeah, I, uh, that's just that's incredible. Nuts. My next card is Security Bypass. Another recent one uh, from, of course, our current set, New Capenna. <laughs> this is a card that I decided to include. Unlike a lot of the ones that I mentioned out of love, I, I've included this one out of despise. Uh, I, I despise this card because it's good. I play it. I just keep punting with it. I've punted with this one twice in the last week where I, I forget that it's, it can only be attacking alone for it to be unblockable. The connive on damage, that part's great. Um, it's a strong card, and it really demands an answer from your opponent, which I guess the best auras do. And this one can actually not provide card advantage, but at least really solid filtering and growth on the board that almost justifies it as a card. Um, that, and if you just, you know, 
need it to break up word stall. This is what you want. So I've liked it in the Bant mirrors. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I just keep accidentally attacking with multiple creatures, thinking, oh, yeah, this one has unblockable now. It has the bypass on it. And then my opponent blocks my 3-3 with their 4-4. Four, four. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm down two cards now <laughs> because I forgot how to read. My next card is also out of loathing, and that is Nexus of Fate. Yes, I love myself some big blue cards, but this card should never have been printed as it is. Like, why did they yeah. ever print a card that lets you loop taking extra turns? Stop it. That was so messed up when it was the standard. This was such a controversial card, too. Uh, everyone wanted it banned, and then it was banned for, like, a, was this one restricted at one point? I, I don't even remember the, all the stuff that happened with this one. It was a whole, it was a whole bunch it. back and forth. Yeah, they, like, they tried to fix it with, like, wilderness. They, they banned wilderness reclamation first or, like, That's uh, was, something yeah. like that. And then there was, like, no, Nexus of Fate is the problem. Stop, stop beating around the bush and just, like, kill the card. And it was also a buy a box promo, so you, like, couldn't get them very easily. Yeah. And uh, it's just everything about it was wrong. Adeline Resplendent Cathar is my next card. One of my favorite cards to be printed in a while as far as mono white goes. Uh, I like some good white weenies. Uh, and usually if I'm playing standard, uh, I'm playing a white weenies deck of some kind. And Adeline really powered that format up. Um, really just a, a huge stat beast. Uh, it often attacks like a 6-4 Vigilance. In the late game, like a 9-4. But the fact that you, whenever you attack, you can get to make a little 1-1. One, one. It triggers ETB effects. Uh, it triggers human-type synergies. Uh, just a, a lot of um, power and, and cool design in a nice little three-mana package. Big fan of Adeline. My next card here is Jace Vryn's Prodigy. And this was back from Magic Origins, which was the first set that they put, like, flip Planeswalkers in. And uh, the reason I picked this card is because this card... So when Magic Origins came out... I went to my local game store and I played in a, in a tournament of some kind. I can't remember what it was. And I was like, you know what? I've never bought a box before. I'm just going to splurge. I've got some extra cash. And I was, I don't know, probably in high school or something at the time. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a box. I bought a box, but the store was also running a promo where you like could enter a raffle. And if like, I think it was, if you bought any product or something, you were entered a raffle is some list of products. You were entered into a raffle to potentially win a box of magic origins. So I played the the event. I had already bought my box. I won the raffle, so I got a second box. And I went home and opened, just tore through. Yes, everybody listening is going to cringe at this. I tore through both boxes. I just opened them all oh, right then man. and there. I wasn't really oh, playing man. limited at the time, so I didn't really understand how much value I was losing by doing that. But So much fun throwing the, the wind. At the same time, I opened a Jace Vrins Prodigy in each of the boxes and that card ended up being like $90 a piece. So I got the first box for free, yeah. got the second box for free, and then just got an extra 90 bucks. <laughs> you really just got tons of Magic Origins just for free. Yep. It was a pretty good time. Next card up is one that it looks like we both got. We both got to talk about this. Metallurgic Summonings. I got to read this one. Three blue blue. It's an enchantment. It's a mythic. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, create an XX colorless construct artifact creature token where X is that spell's mana value. And then you can pay three blue blue, exile it, return all instant or sorcery cards from your graveyard to your hand if you control six more, or only activate this if you control six or more artifacts. This was Shark Typhoon Mark One, right? Like I think this is one of the first times this effect had been printed, uh, at least in, in what we would know is, is like modern magic. And this was the linchpin card that we built our, uh, our, our, our Esper control deck around. And no one else was playing this at the time. 
which is why we were like, all right, we got to do something cool with this. We just played Metallurgic Summonings, tons of good instants and sorceries, um, a few Planeswalkers to back it up, and then Gear Hulks, which synergized really well with the summonings because you could flash back like a, a huge mana value card, something like a, a Glimmer of Genius, and then immediately get a 4-4. Uh, and then, you know, of course, the Gear Hulk also counted towards the, the amount of value. And if you ever got to pay the five and exile it and just draw like seven cards, uh, it would just restock your entire hand, all of gas, and you you just couldn't lose from there. I love this card. You know, <laughs> it's it's hard for me to admit love of a blue mythic, but this is one that I, I certainly do love. A blue mythic that cares about instants and sorceries, no less. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the other awesome thing was this worked so well in multiples. Like, if you had two of these on the field, yeah. you're getting double triggers. Uh, it's so, so good. Unfortunately, yeah. it wasn't amazing in that format outside of being able to beat Mardu vehicles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was just a little too time. Uh, Counterspell. We both got this one, too. Got to talk about it for each of us. I have a love-hate relationship with Counterspell. Obviously, it's a great card. I play it in, in blue decks. But the thing that I really love about it is its simplicity and the skill that, that it, you can use this to teach a new player. It's blue, blue, a simple casting cost. You just had to tap two islands, counter target spell. It's so simple. It's so clean. And a lot of magic cards these days uh, could, could learn a lesson from, from something with only three words on it. And that, that kind of summarizes everything. Also, um, just the idea of, of training an entire generation of, of magic players to check your opponent's lands and see if they have two mana sources that are blue that are untapped. That alone is, is a worthy lesson. Uh, I hate having my spells countered, though. So uh, screw you, counterspell. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, I love this card. I mean, I don't think that goes as any surprise to anybody, but this is this is one of my favorite cards ever printed. And for a long time, I was really sad about it because it wasn't playable in modern. And then they reprint they they unbanned it and or reprinted it or whatever. I think they reprinted it in in one of the Horizon sets and the alt art for that set is beautiful and I run a play set of it in my spirit sideboard. So I've got torrential gear Hulk next on my list. And I know I just mentioned it as part of our Esper control deck, but I actually have it here for a different reason. I was gifted one of the copies that I needed because I was in a secret Santa with some of my, uh, some of my friends from college. It was actually my, my singing group that, that we all had a secret Santa together and none of them play magic. They're all, actually maybe one or two. Uh, in fact, one might be listening right now. If you're out there listening, Matt, hope you're doing well, man. Love you. Uh, and uh, one of them for the Secret Santa actually got me a Gear Hulk. I put it on my on my like list as a joke because we had like a twenty five dollar limit. I think it was like a thirty dollar card, and I put other stuff on there too, usual stuff like candy and and you know fuzzy socks, the usual Secret Santa stuff. Um, I don't know if Secret Santa. I assume translates internationally. I, I, I hopefully, uh, basically, just getting gifts for each other and. My friend actually just got me a Gear Hulk and wrote like a really nice little note. And she said, I, I hope this is what you wanted. I hope this is the right thing. It looked like the right, the right cost. Uh, I hope you win your tournament. And uh, I was like, that is so great. I keep the note. I keep it um, uh, in, in my uh, my one box where I, where I keep some of my, my old mythics and rares that I don't need anymore. Uh, but I, I keep that Gear Hulk. Um, I sold off all of them but one. I keep the one that she gave me and I keep the note. And you thanked her by scrubbing right out of that tournament. <laughs> <laughs> All for nothing. Uh, my next card here is Baral, Chief of Compliance. And I mentioned my friend from college before who learned control magic from me. And this was the commander he chose for the commander deck that he uses to just run tables. Like he it's it's counters matter counters tribal. 
and it's just Baral and a bunch of counter magic, and that's it. And he just sits back Rogue. like like um, like the Godfather, and like makes everybody beg him for the ability to play anything. Ugh, disgusting. Clothis, God of Destiny, is my next card. Just a nice god, and uh, one that I actually put in my elk deck. <laughs> one that I couldn't stop to. I couldn't seem to stop opening. I just kept opening Clothis over and over again. I wasn't going to complain about that. If Clothis chose me as, as a worthy disciple, so be it. So in response to my friend's control menace, I had to put him in his place. So I swiftly built a deck to counter that. I never actually ended up buying it, but I did proxy it a time or two. And that is Sorak Dragonclaw, two green, blue, red mm. for... A legend with flash, it can't be countered. Creature spells you control can't be countered. Other creatures you control have trample. And it's a 6-6. Six, six. So 5-mana 6-6, six, six, flash, can't be countered. None of your other creatures can be countered. And give everything you have trample. Like, what? <laughs> awesome. uh, really good. And obviously, if none of my stuff can be countered, then his whole deck just stops working. I have Gold Knight Castigator as the next card on my list. Another funny one with a funny story attached. Uh, back at a, at a pre-release tournament that we went to ages ago. And this was before... <laughs> Keep in mind, well before 17 lands and back when when um, things were a little bit more open ended. This is a really hot debate topic where no one knew if Golden Knight Castigator would be good enough in limited or not. Uh, people knew it would be good. People thought it might just be better for your opponent than it was for you. That was the uh, the two red red for a four nine flying haste. You heard me right. That is a format of four nine flying haste. And it said if a source would deal damage to you, it deals double that damage instead. If a source would deal damage to Golden Knight Castigator, it deals double that damage to it instead. So it takes 10 functional damage to, to kill it, which is really just 5 di direct damage to, to kill it. So this is more or less a 4-5 a flying haste, and your, your opponent's creatures deal double damage to you. I opened 2 in my sealed pool at pre-release, and I remember thinking, well, if this isn't the time to stress test it with 2 of the same mythic that's controversial and everyone wants to know about... It must be my job to find out, right? I ended up winning the pre-release tournament on the back of the Golden Knight Castigators. They, they were the best cards in the deck. And uh, it turns out when you're that aggressive, who cares what your life total is? Speaking of who cares what your life total is, um, <laughs> my next card is Lightning Bolt. And specifically the Mystical Archive version because the art is really cool and I managed to get a playset when they did those limited runs. Uh, not a playset, a uh, playmat of it when they did the limited mm -hmm. runs of those playmats for Ultra Pro. But there's a story behind Lightning Bolt for me as well. I used to be a burn player. That was kind of like how I played magic i either was like you're not allowed to play or i'm gonna kill you right away and so i played control or burn and nothing in between now i'm i i appreciate mid-range a little bit more but i mentioned i started playing magic at m10 and i played for like maybe a year or two and then i took a huge break and when i got back to the game i went through some of my old cards and realized i had like almost three play sets of lightning bolts at the time they were printed at common <laughs> at like when i originally started playing and I was like, oh, cool, a bunch of lightning bolts. Like, that's fun. Then I looked up their cost, and they were like $5 commons. And I was like, what the heck? Yeah. Where did this come from? Value. My next inclusion is also Mystical Archive. It's Increasing Vengeance. And I wanted to shot this one on uh, on the kind of the art. I love the art of Increasing Vengeance. Uh, just really cool design. I love the kind of halo of swords that Nahiri has going here. Nahiri is one of my, my favorite characters as well. Uh, I, I do also have to shout out the art on Ephemerate, one of my other mystical archives, but I, I think I'll let you continue with that. Yeah, that Ephemerate was my next card, and the reason I put it here is more of a loathing than anything. Um, ben obviously plays Griefblade, as you mentioned, and, and Ephemerate is a big part of that deck's success. And 
we played quite a handful of games with it and i've come to realize that like when i'm playing against grief blade with spirits in modern if they get the ephemerate on turn one like the grief ephemerate thing on like turn one i just lose like otherwise the matchup's like 50 50 but like they need that or i lose and it's kind of frustrating i didn't realize but i think we're 62 cards in time is flying by but uh uh, I'm going to be chug. So I guess my 63rd card is Cultivate. Just a really solid card. I put this in every single green commander deck I own. That and it's buddy Kodama's Reach. Uh, and sometimes it, they're, they're a lesser sibling, Harrow. But particularly, I wanted to shout out Cultivate. I, to this day, hold it as the most beautiful magic card I own. Specifically, the M21 promo Cultivate. Uh, the, the full art extended foil uh, of a mage with this kind of swirling spiral of beautiful green uh, flowing out from underneath. Just... If you see one of these in person, it stops you in your tracks. You go, wow, that's a magic card. Like that's in the same category as like a like a basic mountain with a non-full art. Like what's going on here? Uh, beautiful card. My next card here is the Locust God. And this harkens back to Hour of Devastation. I toyed with putting the Scarab God here because it was just such a ridiculous card in Limited. Probably still to this day, the best Limited card ever printed. Yeah. And Yeah, I think so. Like, yeah, that card was absurd. But the reason I like the Locust God is it was also absurd and limited, and it had a different sort of angle that would let you, like, build decks around. It's a flyer, but it makes a bunch of insects, basically makes a bunch of locusts, and it lets you draw cards and stuff. But I built a really fun blue-red stacks Locust God deck for Commander. Never ended up physically, like, getting it, but I might do that because this card is really fun, and that deck was incredible. My next card is Sir Conrad the Grim. Just back a little bit from Eldraine. They kind of took an aristocrat, which I love aristocrats just in general. Anything that when a creature dies, it, it drains their opponent or deals them damage. Uh, I, I really love the, the play style of uh, you look how many creatures you have, you check your opponent's life total, and you confirm that if all of your creatures were to die, then your opponent would just die based on the, on the ping damage. That is a fun situation to be in. Uh, Sir Conrad is that just to, to take into its absurd extreme. Sir Conrad says, if anything, you know, goes anywhere, <laughs> you, you start taking damage. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on with Sir Conrad and a pesky one to deal with in Limited for sure. My next card here is Leovold, Emissary of Trest. And this is a card that hasn't been talked about forever. Like, I feel like I almost forgot this card existed, but it's Sultai, black, green, blue for a 3-3 legend. Each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn. Whenever you or a permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability and opponent controls, you can draw a card. And I remember distinctly thinking, oh, great. Like, I love to do either like stacks type stuff or control type stuff and prevent my players, my opponents from doing anything. Leovold is the quintessential commander for that. So I spent literal hours pouring over building the best Leovold deck I could possibly come up with. I was so excited for it. I had cards like added to my Star City, not even Star City games, uh, TCG player cart. I was ready to to get this and be hated by every table I ever played against. And like two days later, they banned Leovold and I was so (laughs) upset. I mean, on the one hand, I was really excited because I didn't spend, it was like a thousand dollar deck too. Like I was going all in on this and uh, I was really excited that I didn't waste the money. But on the other hand, I was really sad because I spent a lot of time building that deck. For the best. Leo's gross. Uh, I have Nethroy Apex of Death up. Another commander deck that, uh, well, kind of like you, I haven't ordered it quite yet, but this one I don't think is going to get banned anytime soon. It's not that broken. I'm taking it in a, in a pretty fun direction. Self-mill and zero power matters. Very excited to give this one a spin in paper. 
My next card is another commander, Tajik Blade of the Legion. And this was back when I started Commander. This was like the quintessential Voltron deck. Like you just, he's indestructible. So you just throw a bunch of stuff on him and swing and that's it. And this was a card that really taught me the fact that like the fun part of Commander is that you build a deck that you care about and like actually matters to you because I didn't care about Tajik in particular. It was just like a cheap deck and you know, I was like, oh, this is maybe a thing I like, and I didn't. And it really taught me about the options available within the format. One fun option is uh, Enchantress Aggro Reanimator. I love commander decks that are unique to me. And at least, I mean, of course, if you look up Kestia the Cultivator on EDH Rec, you'll find there's, there's probably hundreds of decks out there. But I like to think that no one out there has a deck quite like mine, where I'm playing uh, all the... not. Uh, in- enchantment auras that, that sometimes you, you get with Kestia. I'm playing enchantment creature tribal and she says whenever an enchanted creature or enchantment creature you control attacks draw a card. You end up drawing absurd numbers of cards with this deck uh, to the point where you have to discard them all. So what goes well with that? How about all the like mono white mass enchantment re- uh, uh, reanimation effects? Uh, so I- I've concocted this Pretty wacky, pretty fun, pretty unique game plan that's that's just a lot of fun to pilot. My next card is Oko Thief of Crowns, because what the hell is this card? Oh, <laughs> I think everybody's Loco, had their fair Oko. share of Oko, and the reason I put this on here is not just to complain about a card that never should have been printed, but to complain about a card that never should have been printed that Ben put in his elk deck. <laughs> it says elk on the card. He has an elk thing I don't, yeah, but I, I don't know i don't have to tell you it was a choice that you didn't have to, you didn't have to make that choice okay it was a choice all right uh, my next card is mazes end and i'm so happy we're getting more mazes in in baldur's gate uh, i have this casual deck and it's a mazes end deck uh and it's not it's kitchen table it's not legal in any format but at this point i'm starting to pick up some pieces to maybe make it a pioneer deck i hear mazes end might actually be playable uh, I'm going to try it out on Explorer first on Arena. And if I like it enough, maybe I'll, I'll pick a place at a Gatebreaker Rams. My next card is Grand Abolisher. This is white, white for a 2-2. During your turn, your opponents can't cast spells or activate abilities of artifacts, creatures, or enchantments. Just another sort of stacksy effect that's like, hey, it's my turn. Back off. Let me do my thing. When we get to my next, the next player's turn, you can do your thing. My next two cards have identical mana values. Uh, the first one's Fatal Push. This is my favorite removal spell ever printed. Uh, one mana, and it will kill just about any creature that matters to you. It scales with the game perfectly, but has just enough little synergy with having something have uh, needing to have left the battlefield under your control this term. It, it makes you think. You know, it's not just a one mana kill anything. It's one mana kill anything with a little bit of thought behind it. My next card here is Risen Sanctuary. Five green-white for an 8-8 elemental with vigilance. That's it. And the reason I picked this card is because when Ben and I, I started this show, we did a search for all cards that could have the word chaff in them. And this is one of two. The flavor text is when one of the great guardians arises, it sweeps enemies aside like chaff, yet takes care not to crush a single insect underfoot. And the card itself is a draft chaff card and it mentions chaff. It's just like perfect. It's like the quintessential draft chaff card. Uh, it's funny because the card you just posted above, Grand Abolisher, is the other card that has chaff in the name, or uh, in the flavor text, uh, which being, your superstitions and mumblings are useless chaff before my righteousness. Yeah, take that, blue counterspell mages. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Um, I, I did pick them both and put them there like that because they both have the word chaff in them, but um, yeah, Grand Abolisher is not actually a, car- a chaff card. Uh 
So I think Risen Sanctuary. Yeah, Risen Sanctuary represents us as a show much better. Yeah. Uh, My next card is Thoughtseize. I love starting off a game with turn one Thoughtseize. Maybe it's not the best thing to do anymore in modern, but it's starting to pick back up. I still play a handful of Thoughtseize and its buddy Inquisition of Kozilek uh, in, in my modern deck. I really enjoy starting with a bit of information and going one for one with your opponent and spending very little mana to do so uh, is a way to make sure you have info and they don't. My next card here is Prophet of Crufix, one that many of you may have never heard of, but this is a Theros card for like original Theros and it lets you untap all your creatures on your opponent's untap steps and lets you cast all your creatures as though they had flash. It was relatively quickly banned in modern, uh, banned in commander that is, and uh, I don't think they're ever going to unban it. So sad. I love Prophet of Crufix. My next card is also a blue-green card. One that I, I don't tend to favor blue-green that often, but this one uh, really got me, and I've always tried to find a way to break it. Fathom Mage. Uh, that's a 1-1, but whenever you, uh, whenever a 1-1 counter is put on a Fathom Mage, you can draw a card, and it has evolved, so whenever like a, a bigger creature comes in, uh, it puts a counter on Fathom Mage. I've always tried to find a home for this deck. I've always loved the art. In fact, I have a, a several copies in foil of both the normal art printing and the foil alt art printing. Just gorgeous cards no matter what. But I just I just don't know what to do with them. If, if a listener out there can tell me a good deck for Fathom oh, I'll Mage, I'll tell you what to I'm do with it. Atraxa is yep. the perfect home for this card, man. Uh, I love Fathom uh, Mage in my Atraxa deck. If you're a listener and you have more of a heart and soul than Zach, <laughs> let me know what deck to put it in. Speaking of heart and soul, my next card here is Prism Array. And Prism Array is a card that was so hilariously bad that Ben and I kind of ended up with like a, 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 a thing, like an unspoken pact. We just ripped every single copy of this card we ever got, <laughs> or got our hands on. Like we would just tear them up as soon as we opened them. No questions asked. It was just like, this is what's happening. It was a good joke back then in, uh, in Battle for Zendikar days. Um, I actually have... I mean, the joke is that it's supposed to, like, Im- imprison an Eldrazi. Uh, and I actually have a full nine in my trade binder at the beginning and then a full nine at the end to imprison, quote-unquote, my my uh, my trades within. Pe- so, the people that have been playing for a while usually get a good laugh when they open my trade binder. Next up is Vivian Reed. One of my favorite Planeswalkers, this one in particular, I will always have a special place in my heart because Viv helped me win my game day promo and my my uh, my promo playmat. It was a, an awesome deck. It was an Obzon deck, you know, because of course I was playing Obzon. And it's it's how I got my favorite mat, which I take to every tournament. And, you know, it's a beautiful mat too. And I, I owe it to Vivian. I owe it to my skill a little bit, but it was mostly Vivian. My next card is also a Planeswalker and... This is Teferi Hero of Dominaria because it is easily my favorite Planeswalker ever printed. It just, it draws you cards, it untaps your lands. It, it's a busted card, let's be honest. It also probably should not have been printed in, in this form. And I'm so happy it was. I'm just so happy it was. You know what we need to kill a Teferi? How about a Fabled Hero? This is another old one that folks might not know. That's one white white for a 2-2 double strike. It was a, a rare back from uh, OG Theros. But it had heroic, and the heroic mechanic I really liked. It said whenever you cast a spell that targets this creature, put a one-one counter on it. And at first, I was like, "Targets a, the target of the spell? How do you how do you do that? Right? I don't want to destroy my own creatures." But then I realized that you could use auras to, to enchant them up and and uh, you know equip them with cool things. And the first magic deck I built myself uh, was actually blue-white heroic. This was back when I started playing right in Theros, and I just kind of looked at all the good blue and white cards in the set. Uh, actually, I owe Battlewise Hoplite, the uh, the signpost uncommon from that set, to really clue me into the vector that, that it was going for. And I remember thinking, oh, this is how you build a deck. 
I kind of taught myself in that. My next card is Platinum Angel. And this was the first card I saw in Magic that I was like, oh, there's shenanigans in this game because it just says you can't lose and your opponents can't win. And it's like, wait a second, what's going on here? How do we deal with this? So, yeah, uh, I actually have to walk it back. I forgot one of my favorite aspects of Fabled here that I really just can't ignore <laughs> the flavor text. It's just c- combined with the fact that the art shows this like clearly awesome dude just shredding harpies. You poet, be sure to write this down. Just awesome. Uh, my next card, Baneslayer Angel, another one that I'd like to shout out for the art by Greg Staples. Uh, just flavor wise and, and art wise, everything is just a perfect package. This is an iconic magic card and uh, to the point where it's become emblematic of an entire chunk of cards. If I call something a Baneslayer, People kind of know what that is. It's probably a beefy flyer with lifelink, maybe a village vigilance or first strike or something. And it's often an angel. This one in particular, I just love that it has protection from demons and dragons. It's like, well, it's more of a flavor uh, inserted into the function itself, uh, which I think is pretty cool. My next card is Nevermore. This was one white white for an enchantment from Innistrad. And uh, when it ETBs, you name a non-land and that named card can't be cast. This was my answer to Ben's Bruna deck. I just like put, started putting Nevermore in every commander deck I ever played and was like, all right, you're just never casting Bruna. God's Willing is up next to me. Another thing that kind of relates to my heroic deck, because I did have a play set of God's Willing in that. But I remember in my very first draft of all time, it was at high school. Uh, it, it was back when we were drafting in that physics room with our, with our teacher and a, a few friends. And I remember I drafted Mono White because I opened Spear of Heliod and I didn't know that you could take other cards that were off of your first color. So I wound up with a bunch of God's Willings in my deck. And honestly, it was one of the best things that I had. Um, it's a really cheap trick. kind of reminds me of the, uh, the the one from this set that gives it a shield counter. Uh, this is a, a pretty repeatable uh, mechanic, I guess, uh, archetype of card. It, it hurt after a while for me to realize that this wasn't really true card advantage, that getting that scry didn't actually do anything. Um, but that, I guess blanking a removal spell or letting your opponent or letting your creature get through to your opponent is still pretty cool. My next card here is Wicker Witch. This is three mana for an artifact creature Scarecrow at common from Shadows of Innistrad, and it's a 3-1. The reason I like this card is because there's a story behind this with some friends at college where like they were we opened up an obscene number of these, and then one of my friends, I always want to say he epoxied it, but he didn't actually epoxy it, but it's like in sealed in like plastic like clear plastic or something, and is uh. sitting as like a trophy in his living room uh, on his bookshelf. So that's good. Yeah. My next card is Luminarch Ascension. This is one of my first favorite rares. Uh, another one that I can never seem to get my hands on, and I'm honestly not even sure if I own any copies now. I, I tried using it online as a way to, uh, in, in some like casual games here and there, uh, tried to find like how control decks work, and I tried to make this a win con. Uh, it felt like a challenge. This isn't exactly an alternate win condition, but it's kind of like an alternate win condition. Uh, if you can go several turns without losing life, uh, it pays you off. So I, I remember thinking that this was a payoff worth fighting for. And one of the first build arounds I ever tried to focus on, I guess I never really got there. My next card is Tybalt the Fiend Blooded. Ben allude, alluded to this earlier, but like that first pack when he was like so excited buying an Avacyn Restored pack, trying to get an Avacyn and he opened a Tybalt and I nearly died of laughter. It was one of the most incredible <laughs> experiences of my life. And so I also put it in my chaos deck as a nod to Ben. Yeah, of course. I, I just remember thinking like, wow, at least I got a Planeswalker. And then I read it and I, <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that's it? Wait, this does what now? Is this, this hurts me? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, 
Battlewise Hoplite is next on my list. I wanted to shout this one out because of the art and the flavor. Uh, again, just blue and a white for a 2-2. Uh, a lot of the, the my old uh, casual kitchen table decks didn't survive, but Battlewise Toplight did survive. It, it actually made it into my current build of Bruna because it, this one allows you to scry when you put uh, when you cast spells to target it. So just suit up with a bunch of auras, make it big, scry a bunch. Uh, my first favorite signpost uncommon, ironically enough, in blue white, uh, the color combo that uh, I am. In an, in an average set, probably least likely to draft, but uh, in this particular set of uh, Nuka Penna, most likely to force. My next card is Approach of the Second Sun, and the reason being that I love alternate win conditions. You may have picked up by now that I'm not a big fan of the red zone. I don't necessarily like sending creatures into the into the combat, and uh, if you're not doing that, you need other ways to win. So Approach of the Second Sun is one of my favorite ways to do that. It's, it's also like an impending doom kind of thing because your opponents know that it's coming, Gives them a chance to like figure out how to get away from it. I I, I really like this card. I have winding constrictor now. This, if you will, uh, this next was um, the black green deck from Aether Revolt Kaladesh Limited, uh, which was a counters deck. And this is where I developed my love of counters. Just a, a really fun archetype, a fun vector that we. Was this the last time that black green was good and limited? It may have been. Yeah, that's that's so disappointing. Well, the snake would make it so that if you would place a counter, you instead placed an extra one instead. And it worked with counters placed on people, too, so you could give energy counters to yourself. Uh, it was part of a very fun limited archetype with the ridge scale Tusker, the, uh, the the huge top end that put counters on everything. Sometimes a better Vergerous Gear Hulk. Um, and all of this hinged on having maybe one or two copies of Wine and Constrictor in your deck. Uh, just a really fun build around and uh, a card I miss playing. My next card comes from the same set, and that is Glint Sleeve Siphoner. And the reason I like this card is because Ben and I played in that first GP, and um, we both got playmats with the art of this card on them. And we yeah. went around the whole event venue and found all of our favorite pros and got... That was the first time we met Marshall Sutcliffe, and we were able to get signatures. And still have that playmat, still have all those signatures. And anytime I break that out, people are like, whoa, whose sigs are these? And uh, it's, it's always a fun story. My next card is Moonvale Regent. Uh, this is a bit of a pet card of mine. Uh, it's not from that long ago. This is the uh, the, the four mana four four flying dragon. And when you cast uh, uh, or when you cast a spell, you can discard your hand and draw equal to that spell's mana value. I found a game where I was playing Halana and Lana before I'd upgraded it with all the cards I wanted to order, and I was playing Moonvale Regent because I was like, "This is a four four flyer for four. It's probably pretty good, right?" Uh, I had a game where my board got wiped. I played Halana Atlanta and a Moonvale Regent. My hand was basically empty. And the Moonvale Regent single-handedly got me back into the game. I just kept top-decking gas into gas into gas. I have some red-green cards in there. So sometimes I was drawing two. And it, it earned a spot in my heart as of recently. Uh, I can't bring myself to cut it now. So my next card is Mana War, And this is twofold. First of all, the first guest we had on this show was Marshall Sutcliffe, which is absolutely absurd. And I can't believe that ever happened. We got to get him back on at some point because it was it was absolutely just one of those out of body experiences. That like, wait, we're sitting down and having a real conversation with this guy. And he's awesome. He's just yeah. a really awesome guy. And Man of War is his favorite card. So that's the one reason I put it on here. The second reason is because Ben hates jellyfish and Man of War is jellyfish. And so I always have to remind him whenever jellyfish cards get printed, like, hey, look at this one. Ugh. I, I hate jellyfish resembling things what was it like uh like roaming ghost light that was like a kind of like a jellyfish spirit too just so on brand for you so anti-brand for me <laughs> my next card up is emancipation angel uh 
people probably don't know this one. I want to say this was also from Avison Restored. Not for anything to do with gameplay. I, I wasn't playing for Avison Restored, but uh, I just love the art of this card. And something that I don't think I've really mentioned on this podcast before is that I used to make custom life counters. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, Zach. The, I do, um, I do. Yeah, so what I would do is I would order around like 60 copies of Emancipation Angel. And then I would, card by card, uh, with a with a fine exacto knife, shave out layers from from uh, one of the cards. Uh, one of the cards. So I, I have one with like just the foreground in it, and then one with the foreground and the angel wings, and one with the foreground and the angel wings and the dress, and then one with the foreground angel wings dress and uh, like backplate. And um, you just keep going and going. And then when you layer them all on top of each other, you get this beautiful three uh, D depth scene. And then, of course, you, you glue them all together. Uh, you can, you know, paint the sides. And what I would do is I'd make a little abacus out of it where I would cut out the bottom text box uh, and uh, put a little sliding thing down there with some, some di- uh, not dice, uh, some little beads that you can use to count life totals. I don't use them very much anymore. I have a second one as well of a, of a vampire. And I started working on a third that I never quite finished. Um, to be honest, I was doing it my freshman year of college when I, I was a little too shy to go out and make friends. And I got really good at it, but... Uh, I guess uh, with with you know with popularity comes a, a lack of free time. <laughs> Maybe I should post a picture of that in uh, in Discord if people want to see it. It's something I'm proud of, but uh, artistry wise, but that I, I never really get the chance to use anymore. My next card here is Lisa Shroud of Dusk, and this is also twofold. Again, Ben loves Innistrad and he loves angels, and he loves Avison. And, and it's all true. Lisa was the fourth of the like. Innistrad angels that like nobody knew what was up with her or like what her name was or any of those kinds of things for a long time. And then finally in commander legends, they printed a card of her and it was like, Oh, this is the other angel. And, um, it happens to be a stacks card. <laughs> and I love that. So it's an angel. Ben is not likely to play and it fits my play style very well. I was jealous when you had it as your commander in a, that and you had the, you had the commander's plate too. I remember that thing yeah. was tough to kill. Oh, it was great. My next card here is Eternal Witness. I'm a big fan of Eternal Witness. It's a simple card. It's an efficient card. Uh, it is a quintessential green card advantage card, but there's just nothing like Eternal Witness to go get back like a tutor or to go get back a removal spell or honestly to go get a fetch land. You know, uh, it does it all. And um, I, I kind of started this list with a three mana green card. I wanted to bring this to the close with, with a three mana green card as well. And so my last card is Selfless Savior. This is just, I mean, it's just a, a dogger that wants to jump in front of things and save its, save its owner. I, it's just, she raised him from an orphaned pup and gave him a life of love with his last act. He thanked her. And that's just so beautiful. With this card, I, I do want to shout out. Um, I think it was the, uh, the alternate art. I forget what it was from. I think it was the doggo secret layer. It, it was like the, the, the dog theme secret layer. It was rest in peace that has a dog laying in the sun on it. And the flavor text for it is, is similar to this one. Uh, Lucy had chased every ball, chewed every stick and rolled in every puddle. She lay down in the sun content at last. Just beautiful stuff. So now those that have been astutely counting will notice that's only 49 cards each because our last two each and a bonus one aren't actually real magic cards, uh, but they're worth shouting out nonetheless. Zach, you should probably start the story for this one. I don't even know that I remember the whole story anymore, which is really sad, but I, I these are cards. So, I mean, the, the background is that these are cards that Ben made. It was for my birthday, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. 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 So Ben designed cards completely from scratch that represent him and represent me. 
and um, named them using our like online screen names at the time. Uh, we were both playing Star Wars The Old Republic quite extensively, and the names for these cards came from our, our character names there. So I can I can read off mine. Uh, and both of these I designed to be uh, perfectly emblematic of who we are. I also made sure to, to uh, have the art done by a good friend of ours also kind of represent uh, our, our play style. Me as kind of a barbarian in a graveyard and Zach is this kind of mage in, in a moonlit grove. Uh, these turned out awesome, I got to say. I, I, very, very good creations. But mine uh, is Benin Resolute Tracker. Uh, it was two black green for a three, four human warrior and mythic, of course. Uh, whenever he attacks, target player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard. And then whenever a card leaves a graveyard, put a one, one counter on Benin. Uh, I had, eh, I say I, it has partner, trample and menace. And you may wonder what's the partner going to be? Well, the partner would be Rannick, Supreme Archmage, and that would represent me. And it's Jeskai, blue, red, white. For a 2-4 legendary creature, Human Wizard, at Mythic, of course. And it says, discard a card with converted mana cost X. You may cast another target instant or sorcery with converted mana cost X or less from your graveyard until end of turn. And if you control Benin and he has five or more plus one plus one counters on him, exile Rannick and Benin and return them to the battlefield transformed. And then this card also has partner and flying. And they transform into Nerds Unbound by Reason, legendary planeswalker allies, and it has a plus two target player creates an omniscience, ghostly prison, or glorious anthem token. <laughs> I've got to say, I called this. Uh, didn't Garth One-Eyed, wasn't that the card where you could like, it's a, it was from one of the Commander Legend sets or something. You could tap it to make like a Black Lotus or tap it to yeah. make a counterspell emblem or, or, or token or something. I was, I was a bit ahead of the game on this one of, of card token or card emblem type things. Sort of, but I think this one's a little extra powerful than Garth One-Eyed. I mean, making Black Lotus is nothing to sniff at, but like an Omniscience or a Ghostly Prison, I mean, come on. And it's a plus two. All right, all right. (laughs) Uptick to make Omniscience is pretty good. But I also made, you could also uptick to get a Glorious Anthem or a Ghostly Prison. Like, I guess I, you know what? I did miss one. When I designed this card, I wanted to make sure there was something for everything. So what if you have... Uh, too many things in hand and not enough mana. What, what if you're constrained on deploying things? You get omniscience. Uh, if you're constrained by life total, you get ghostly prison um, because that'll just shut down attacks. Uh, and if you're constrained by power on board, you get a glorious anthem. In hindsight, I probably would have swapped out ghostly prison for oblivion ring, like a targeted removal spell rather than a, 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 a like mass damage prevention. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, I, I actually, and, and we'll finish through this, but um, I'm really curious what these cards would look like if you were to redesign them now. Like if you went from scratch and mm. just designed cards to represent both of us, how would they change? Maybe an interesting ah. experiment for you. Yeah, I might have to work on that for maybe a sign off. And so, I mean, we're not done yet. Nerds Unbound by Reason also has a couple of other abilities. So the first was a plus two. The second is a plus one. And it says, choose a non-magic card item owned by another player. That player may sacrifice that item if they do not draw three cards. (laughs) Items can include dice, tokens, shoes, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm particularly proud of this one. So it's like, hey, dude, nice hat you've got there. Up ticket. Uh, Throw away your hat or I draw three cards. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, nice car you've got outside. Burn it or I draw three cards. Blow it up or I draw three cards. Yeah. The, the next ability is a minus eight, and it says you may choose a deck you own from outside the game and put it into your hand. 
<laughs> so the joke here is that by this point, you surely have created an omniscience token, right? If you created the omniscience token, if you put a deck into your hand, you just put your deck, you literally take a 60 card deck and just place it on the battlefield. You cast every spell. And so this this functionally ultimate, it lets you just cast an entire deck that you own. Yeah, and I mean, you said 60 cards, but like, you're picking a commander deck if you do this, right? Like, you're just grabbing <laughs> yeah. one of your best commander decks and winning the game on the spot. Yeah, oh, God, putting the entire Krenko deck onto the field at once. That would do Jeez. it. Jeez. There's some that wouldn't work. Putting the entire Bruda deck onto the battlefield at once would actually be pretty bad and disastrous. Um, uh, also true, yeah. Unless Bruna's already on the battlefield, because then all the R's can just attach to her, right? Unless you could get her out and, and on there somehow, yeah. Um, but I, I do have to shout out some of the synergy between Benin and Rannick. The idea of whenever Benin attacks, target player mills three. Oh, this is before the mill was, was keyworded, I guess. Uh, target player mills three. And then Rannick being able to discard a card with converted mana cost, mana value, X, to, to cast another instant of sorcery with mana value X, or less from your graveyard this term, it kind of provided this um, really tight synergy that you could make a five color commander deck out of because these two have partner uh, and uh, you know they color all five colors. So, uh, and that naturally casting stuff in the graveyard as per the mill from Benin would put counters on Benin and then uh, flip over once, uh, once they had five counters on them. Yeah, good stuff. I mean, those are our cards. That's all 50 each and kind of one extra. So... I hope you enjoyed that. This is the first time we've done anything even remotely close to this, but this was a lot of fun and really had us going back through like memory lane and thinking critically about some of the things that we have uh, been through in terms of like what magic has been through alongside our lives with all the different events that we've been through and things. So thank you so much for listening. Definitely jump into the discord. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Let us know some of your favorite cards. I mean, this is, you know, we do this to have a conversation. So jump in there. Let us know some of the cards that mean the most to you. And we'd love to have a conversation about that. Again, the link to the Discord is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Really appreciate it, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And um, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, I guess I don't really have much else to say. My, my throat's kind of getting sore. That was, <laughs> that was a lot, but uh, definitely worth it and, and a lot of fun. Thank you all for 100 episodes. Uh, I'm not feeling too too quippy. I guess I'm feeling more sentimental that people have continued to support us for for a hundred thing, like a hundred episodes. That's absurd. Like that's ten times ten. That's so many. That's so many hours. Jeez. Uh, to, to those that listened from the beginning, you're amazing. To those that have listened since last week, you're also amazing. And uh, shout out to the patrons that have really helped us uh, keep this thing going. Um, and to everyone else, uh, thank you for continuing listening. And here's to a hundred more. <laughs> <laughs>